You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. All right, everyone. All right. We are on episode 27, and we officially have legit fucking microphones. Yeah, fancy microphones that are not just my iPad. No, they're fancy, and they work. Thank you. Listener Sam. Listener Sam, you're, Mm -hmm. you're the best. Thanks. Yeah. Well, and if they don't work, let's be real. It is because I haven't figured out what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah. We'll see how they sound. Sorry if you hear everything ever. We're drinking a new kind of hard seltzer. I went to the liquor store the other day and bought a whole lot of seltzers. So we're on episode 27. This one is going to come out the day after my birthday. Oh, and then the oh. the Tuesday before Halloween, we're sitting with all of our bright colored Halloween lights and candles in the darkness. Yes, kind of. It's not super dark. It's dark enough. <laughs> it's dark enough that it, like this is more of a spooky vibe. This is going to be like during Christmas. This is just going to be more colorful. Yes, and probably brighter because there's probably going to be more lights. Yeah, because I have a problem. I mean, no one is denying that. If you were waiting for a denial, it's definitely not coming. I was waiting for an agreement. Oh, it's happening. <laughs> All right. I guess we'll get started. Oh, one last thing. It's really, really hard to find. Sam Adams Oktoberfest in Nevada. What oh. the fuck? Another reason to miss Massachusetts. Blorp, blorp, blorp. Yeah, I bought two six-packs when I found them the other day because the last time... I had to search five stores. That's it. That was the last message I had because I felt it was important. I mean, pretty fucking important. On theme. Now that that's out of the way, I'm Brittany Vitrino. I'm Martha Bartlett. And this is But But First, First, Let's Talk Talk Nerdy. Clink. All right. I'm first. Yeah, you are. So my topic today. You're true. So I was trying to think. I was like, what is something that really means you seem like you're flipping me off and I know you're (laughs) (laughs) actually just genuinely rubbing my eye (laughs) (laughs) shit (laughs) my topic today was something I was trying to think of like something that really that really makes me think of Halloween yeah for me like whatever it is so today I'm gonna talk about the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. <laughs> oh my god. Yes. Have I ever told you that my mom, my mom fucking loves Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Like so, really? so much. Yeah. She would get us all together to watch it every year. Yeah. So we always, that's one of them that I always, actually I watched it earlier. It was on YouTube. <laughs> it ended on YouTube. Um, I always like the Charlie Brown, no matter what ones they are, whether it's the, the Christmas or um, even the Thanksgiving one. They're always fun. Yeah. This is one of those that I've definitely grown up watching every every year because they always put it on TV. So that's what I'm going to talk about today. And I'm just going to go over basically what it is and then some fun facts about it at the end. So my sources for today are Fandom, 
And then I read an article called "Ugh: Ten Facts About the Great Pumpkin." <laughs> it's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown by Kate Rossin. <laughs> Seven things you never knew about the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown by Katie Robinson. And then, of course, like I said, I watched the actual short today. Okay, so. It's a Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. It's critically acclaimed animated television special based on the comic strip Peanuts by Charles M. Schulz. It was the third Peanuts special and first Halloween special to be produced and animated by Bill Melendez. Its initial broadcast was October 27th, the day after my birthday and the day this is coming out, in 1966 on the CBS network. CBS re-aired the special annually with ABC picking up the rights beginning in 2001. The program was nominated for two Emmy Awards, Outstanding Children's Program, and Special Classification of Individual Achievement. It also has been issued on home movie, uh, the home video several times, including a remastered deluxe edition of the special release by Paramount on October 23rd, uh, 2003, and on September 2nd, 2008 by Warner Home Video, the 1981 special It's Magic, Charlie Brown, as a bonus feature. Weird. I don't think I've ever seen that one. Yeah. For the 40th anniversary, a retrospective book was published in 2006 entitled It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, hmm. the making of a television classic with the entire script, never before seen <laughs> photographs, storyboard excerpts, and interviews with the original child actors who provided the voices of the Peanuts gang. Yes. So what happened in this 25 minute classic? Well, let me tell you about the myth of the Great Pumpkin. Ooh. You good? Yeah, I'm helping. <laughs> Ambiance. You put the candles out. I'm doing all the noises. <laughs> <laughs> the worst. <laughs> Where's an angry cat when we need it? <laughs> Luna, you're failing the one time we need you. <laughs> Luna, this is your cue. <laughs> all right. The story opens with Linus and Lucy going to a nearby pumpkin patch to find a pumpkin to use as a jack-o'-lantern. After rejecting a few of the smaller choices by Linus, Lucy points to the biggest pumpkin in the patch, which Linus clumsily rolls back home. When they get home, Lucy takes a big knife and slices into the pumpkin uh, to gut it, at which point, horrified, Linus screams, Oh, you didn't tell me you were going to kill it, and starts crying. (laughs) Linus is so my little brother down to being very And you sensitive. are so Lucy oh, to Linus yes. to a point where it gets brought up in this. Because <laughs> it's something that happens that I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Yeah. He also had a blankie for a really long time. So. Listener Sam. <laughs> Probably still has it. I'm sure. I can't judge. I still have a pillow. Hey, it's all and my doll, but my doll is back. Literally, in no judgments anymore. But it's not a creepy doll. Mm-hmm. Next is a preview sequence in which trick or treaters dresses Mr. Hyde, a witch, and three ghosts are pursued by sinister-looking phantoms representing Halloween. The trick or treaters are forced to hide in a nearby pumpkin patch until the coast is clear. It introduces the mo- title of the movie on a massive pumpkin and who has written it, and then the intro is ended by an hooting as it flies off of a tree branch. Yes, thank you. I'm doing the sounds. I understand. They're subpar at best. Fuck you! (laughs) 
I didn't get any like notes beforehand, so I'm coming up with them on the fly. That wasn't a pun about an owl, but it could have been. <laughs> oh, the worst. So autumn is already in full swing. Charlie Brown is busy raking leaves with Snoopy's help. Linus sees the pile and jumps right into the middle of it, forgetting that he is holding a wet lollipop that he was licking. Now he and the lollipop are covered in leaves and the pile of leaves is now everywhere. And so with good reason, Charlie Brown is pissed. But before he can punch Linus, Lucy comes with a football (laughs) for Charlie Brown to kick. He initially refuses, but Lucy shows him a contract which promises that she <laughs> won't pull the ball away. Charlie Brown eventually relents and really thinks he's going to kick it this time. But when he's about to kick the ball, she nope. does pull it away and sends him landing flat on his back, like always. Mm-hmm. Lucy then points out that the contract had not been notarized, so it wasn't actually legal. What a bitch. Yup. <laughs> The scene switches to Linus writing a letter to the Great Pumpkin. As he writes the letter, a bunch of the cast come and judge Linus for writing to the Great Pumpkin. Charlie Brown simply doesn't believe. Snoopy just laughs at him. (laughs) Patty yells at him that the Great Pumpkin is fake and just walks away. And then even Lucy comes and violently shakes him to make Linus stop and says, you better cut it out right now or I'll pound you. Linus Mm. laments in the letter that more people believe in Santa than in you. But let's face it, Santa Claus has more publicity. But being number two, perhaps you try harder. Only Sally, Charlie Brown's younger sister, who is in love with Linus, supports him before Charlie Brown takes her away, being like, stop saying this shit to my sister. We also had a Sally. There was a a little blonde girl who was in love with Sam when he was little. Now she is older and has a kid. (laughs) That isn't Sam's. Nope. No. Let's clarify. It's fine. <laughs> Listener Sam is married to a very charming lady and um, she's Who isn't awesome. Sally? Who isn't Sally? Yeah. After Linus mails his letter to the Great Pumpkin using his blanket to open the mailbox because he is short and Lucy refuses to help, <laughs> which I totally understand, my little buddy. <laughs> Charlie Brown dances gleefully when he receives an invitation to Violet's Halloween party. He's super pumped because it's the first time he's ever been invited to a, bu- a party. His bubble is quickly burst by Lucy, who explains that there are two lists, people to invite and people not to invite. Lucy is certain Charlie Brown's name got on the wrong list. The scene ends with Linus walking by and now deflated Charlie Brown to going into the pumpkin patch with a big sign that reads Welcome Great Pumpkin. <laughs> Lucy is just such a bitch. She's just so committed. <laughs> it's like, oh, well you definitely shouldn't have been invited because I think you're a dweeb. Mm-hmm. He has also never been invited to anything before, which is sad, but telling. Sometimes these are self-fulfilling prophecies. <laughs> All right, so on Halloween night, the gang gets their costumes ready. Lucy, toting that a costume should reflect the exact opposite of one's personality, dresses as a witch, while the other kids dress up as ghosts. Pigpen (laughs) is easily recognizable by his trademark of the the cloud of dust, while Charlie Brown has eye holes cut all over his sheet and matter-of-factly states that he had trouble with the scissors. (laughs) 
Sally, who just scared herself with her own ghost costume she just cut eye holes into, asks if Linus is going to take her to the party. Lucy calls her little brother a blockhead, and the others call Linus strange and judge him. Sally tries to stick up for him by saying, but what if there really is a great pumpkin? Sally then asks if she can join the gang trick-or-treating. Lucy explains to her how to trick-or-treat and what they call tricks or treats. Tricks or treats. And Sally asks if it's actually legal. Mm. Snoopy joins the group very briefly as a World War uh, One pilot, and then the group goes Yes! Off. So before they go trick-or-treating, the gang stops off at the pumpkin patch to make fun of Linus, missing out on all the fun again, Which is as he does every year. Linus asks if they came, they've come to sing, uh, pumpkin carols. <laughs> and he remains convinced that the great pumpkin will indeed come because he thinks that the patch he is in is the paragon of sincerity. Huh. I love that. <laughs> Sally first calls out the bullshit in which Linus replies, I thought little girls always believed things that they were told. I thought little girls were instantly trusting. Sally, annoyed, replies, welcome to the 20th century. But her love for Linus is so strong that in the end, she chooses to stick and wait around with him. The rest of the gang go off, leaving Sally and Linus behind in the pumpkin patch. Wait, well... During trick-or-treating, everyone else gets assorted candy, gum, apples, cookies, popcorn balls, even money. However, at every house, Charlie Brown gets the same thing. <laughs> I a rock. rock. <laughs> <laughs> Small sidebar, which made me laugh, hmm? because yesterday you literally just told me about how you would ask for candy for Sam because he would be too scared. Lucy has to ask for extra candy for her dumb brother who's sitting in a pumpkin patch and says that she's embarrassed about it. Though we all know that she isn't giving her dumb brother any of that candy. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> she seems like a very caring sister. It was funny because you just mentioned that yesterday. I've never done anything like that. The person who spoke yesterday was, I don't know, a squirrel. <laughs> Some sort of shapeshifter trying to malign my good name. <laughs> so what did we find out today? Martha is Lucy. Martha is Lucy. <laughs> it's about time we find something out about you and not me. Well, you know, it, it helps that I'm already in therapy. <laughs> There we go. I've got a leg up. <laughs> Shit. I'm trying. I don't want money for therapy. No, I'm trying also to get the money for therapy. <laughs> okay. We now cut to a scene being narrated by Charlie Brown because they asked where Snoopy is. Snoopy is now in his doghouse pretending to fly it into war to shoot down the Red Baron. After a lot of laughing and fake gunfire, the doghouse takes too much damage and starts to crash. He manages to land and start his journey through enemy territory, trying to get to the French countryside. Don't worry, everyone. He makes it. So after the trick or treats, the others quickly stop by the pumpkin patch to ribbon to Linus and Sally again, and then they go off to Violet's Halloween party. Snoopy makes it to the Halloween party. The kids are doing normal Halloween things, carving pumpkins, bobbing for apples. The kid that is always playing the piano is there, and he's playing Schroeder. some ballad that is making Snoopy cry a lot and have a lot of feelings. Mm -hmm. The feelings become too much, and Snoopy wanders away. 
And he makes it to the pumpkin patch where Linus and Sally are waiting for the great pumpkin to show up. Linus hears Snoopy rustling and believes it's the great pumpkin. When Snoopy, still hidden in the shadow, rises above the pumpkins, Linus promptly faints. When Sally <laughs> sees it's only Snoopy, she becomes outraged over missing trick-or-treats and the Halloween party and threatens to sue Linus. She storms out of the pumpkin patch after screaming at him as the other children arrive in time to witness her tirade, leaving Linus by himself, still convinced that the great pumpkin will come come uh when promising to put in a, a good word for the others who as they abandon him he accidentally says if the great pumpkin comes instead of when after he realizes his mistake he declares that he is doomed and that one little slip up like that can cause the great pumpkin to pass you by now all alone in the pumpkin patch he calls out oh great pumpkin where are you i mean you should have been the paragon of sincerity I you guess. fucking bitch so, 4 a.m. rolls around next morning. Lucy gets up to check on Linus, seeing his bed is empty. She goes up to the pumpkin patch. She finds him laying on the ground, shivering, covered in a security blanket. <laughs> she grudgingly walks him home and uh, takes him to his room, takes off his shoes, his socks. He passes out in his own bed, and she covers him with the blanket you, before grumpily walking out of his room back into her own. Later that day, Linus and Charlie Brown are at the wall. And when Charlie Brown tries to console Linus by saying, I've done a lot of stupid things in my life too, bro. Right. Shit. <laughs> Linus blows a fuse and angrily vows to Charlie Brown that the great pumpkin will come next year. His oh. ranting continues, uh, continues on as the ending credits roll and Charlie Brown is just like, okay, bro. Oh, Jesus. Yo. The worst when you try or when you're like, I'm just trying to be like nice to you and be like, oh, I've also been a dummy. It's fine. I'm trying to make this okay. And you're like, no, I'm going to commit to being a dummy forever and ever. <laughs> forever and you ever. called me one semi not nice name. Blue, blue, blue. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Cool. I guess we're going with it. It's fine. All right. So that is The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. And here are some fun facts about this Halloween classic. The future animated uh, peanut specials depended on It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Um, Mendelssohn and the animator Bill Melendez had very high aspirations for Charlie Brown Christmas, though it didn't go quite as planned. When they screened it prior to the premiere, it felt like it didn't live up to its potential, and CBS agreed. The network said it was the last peanut special that they would buy, but after it delivered huge ratings, hmm. CBS executives changed their mind and asked for more. The voice of Violet puked after almost every recording session. <laughs> so it's standard practice these days to use adult actors to mimic the kids, the juvenile cartoon yeah. characters. Mm -hmm. Adults are presumably better able to take direction and deliver performance in line with the director's wishes. Four hundred hours, that sort of shit. You know, yes. But for many Peanuts specials, children were used to voice Charlie Brown, Lucy, Linus, and the rest of them. And Altieri, who portrayed both Violet and Frida, was so nervous to be part of the show that she threw up every time she was done recording. I feel you so I was like, hard. I know Martha's gonna feel this so hard. Yeah. <laughs> oh. 
All right. This was the first time multiple reoccurring jokes showed up in the animation. One of the biggest was Lucy pulling away the football (laughs) when Schultz, um, Mendelssohn, and Melendez were brainstorming scene ideas for the special. Talk turned to the fact that Lucy's habit of pulling the football away from Charlie Brown had never been seen in animation, only in the the comic strip. They also decided it would be a good time to introduce Snoopy's World War I flying ace. The joke had appeared in the strip, but uh, Mendelssohn thought it would work better in animation and he was right. The sequence that Snoopy is on the doggos in the fight is one of the most memorable in the Peanuts animated canons. A loose tooth almost ruined It's a Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown. (laughs) So, Kathy Steinberg was only four years old when she portrayed Sally for the first time in in, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. Uh, While Steinberg had some limitations, like being too young to know how to read a script, (laughs) things were going well until producers realized that she was on the verge of losing a tooth. Fearing a lisp would ruin the voiceover work, they rushed her lines to get done the day after finishing her tooth fell out. Oh, shit. Wow. So for years to after Charlie Brown, uh, It's a Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, kids sent Charlie Brown candy. Aww. One of the most poignant moments of any Peanuts cartoon come down to the poor Charlie Brown when he opens his Halloween goodie sack and discovers that he's been given rocks instead of candy. Mm-hmm. According to Schulz, uh, this angered a lot of the viewers that for years after his California office was covered with sacks of treats addressed to Charlie Brown. Um, we also think Charlie Brown shouldn't get any candy, and if you disagree, you should send it right here to us, and we'll make sure he gets it. Yes. I will give Charlie Brown all the candy. hmm N- No almond joys or mounds. I'll take mounds. Uh, Charlie Brown would take mounds. <clears throat> <laughs> no good in plenties? No. Fuck that nonsense. <laughs> Gross. Ew. I feel or like Twizzlers. most of the gummy things that I like, you... Oh, so you don't like Twizzlers? I'm not a big fan of Twizzlers. Like Twizzlers. What? I don't like Twizzlers. I'm not either. a big fan yeah. of Twizzlers. Most gummy things if are If Twizzlers are, like, super fresh, they're not mm-hmm. bad, but as soon as they get any kind of hard, they're gross. I mean, Twizzlers are hard enough that you can yes. get them at your friends. No fucking know, thank you. I because I've done that. <laughs> like, oh, do you want this one? Yeah. It's now a ninja star. But we will take Starburst and Jolly... I was going to say Jolly Ranchers. I mean, I like Jolly Ranchers, Ranchers, but those aren't gummies. Um, You like those peach rings, which nobody's given out for Halloween. No. They could be. I do like peach rings. I don't really like gummy bears, but I like like Mike and Ike's. No, thank you. I will eat them. Charlie Brown will eat them. Charlie Brown will (laughs) definitely eat Mike and Ike's. Uh, Charlie Brown would really like Reese's. Reese's. Kit Kat pumpkins, the pumpkin um, Reese's, Snickers, Milky Ways, Three Musketeers, most things that have like either chocolate and peanut butter or caramel or some sort of nut. a peanut. Most other nuts. I like Charlie Brown likes most nuts. Yeah, these nuts. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Good to know. Okay, uh, just in case you were curious about uh, Charlie Brown's, um, what he wants for candy, his preferences. <laughs> you got uh, it. We think that he should never eat candy because he doesn't deserve any. So <laughs> just if you're mad about that, send your shit to, uh, but first, let's talk nerdy. That's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the Just address. put that on the, the package. They'll know where to send it. <laughs> um, okay, next one. 
Uh, some scholars thought the Great Pumpkin Myth was real. In an interview in 1968, Chill said that since the special began airing two years earlier, he has received a numerous amount of letters from academics wondering where the Great Pumpkin story had originated. A number of professional scholars had written to me, this is a quote, a number of professional scholars have written to me about the origin of the legend. He then went on to say they insisted it must be based on something. She'll have suggested they broach the topic with Linus instead. Hmm. Well, the great pumpkin did come to me and he was like, I do like a sincere pumpkin. And I was like, okay, bro. And then I let him go. So it was based on real life. Maybe. <laughs> drugs. <laughs> and then the last one is there is a secret meta text in one scene. Mm-hmm. After Linus writes his uh, letter to the Great Pumpkin, he walks by Lucy, who is sitting in front of the TV. She's reading a copy of the TV guide that features a photo of herself on the cover. Oh, shit! I literally don't think I've ever I didn't either that. until I saw that. Yep. Oh, dang! And there you have it. That is It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, and some fun little facts about it. A amazing Halloween classic. Oh, cute. Aww. I love it. <laughs> Hi, I'm Joe Heath. And I'm Tony Heath. And we've been watching Doctor Who for five years. So that makes us experts. Probably. I once heard a guy say that he listened to a four-hour podcast by an expert, which made him an expert. So, we're experts. Definitely experts. And you can be an expert, too! All you have to do is listen to... The Watchathon of Rassilon! It's a podcast! That we make! Together! Sometimes with friends! Listen to it! Or else! The Watchathon of Rassilon! A proud member of the ESO Network. What book are we doing today? <laughs> Yesterday, Martha came out to talk to me. I was sitting in the I was sitting in the kitchen where we are now, and I called her out. And then she started gesturing with a book, and I was like, "Hey, what book are you reading?" Instead of being nonchalant about it, she was like, "Nothing." I could have done any lie, and it would have been fine, and nothing would have been. That would have been the end of that. I'm not reading a book. I've never seen books. <laughs> I know that's my bookcase behind you, but I don't. <laughs> so I instantly knew that she was doing a book today. I mean, I, I've kept all of these books to make you think that I'm smarter than I am. Is it working? Hmm. Uh, okay. What book are we doing today, Martha? What book am I doing today? <laughs> Alright, so I'm actually doing one of my most favorite books in the entire world today, which is Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury. Yeah, I've never read it. Well, it's not, like, his most well-known piece, and, like, it's not his most, like, game-changing piece or anything like that. It's not fucking Fahrenheit 451 or things like that. that either. Um, but yeah, it's, it's probably... It's probably my favorite book, or it's at least, like, top three. And it's one of those ones that I've read a lot of times. Like, my my copy is beat to shit. It's a little sad. And I have bought several copies and then 
lent them to people, and now I don't have those copies anymore. <laughs> Which I can't say anything about, because as we have talked about, I will take your books. If you lend them to me, and I don't give them back to you, I'm sorry. This is who I am. <laughs> I don't know. So, um... Uh, I read it back going into 10th grade. It was on the list for summer reading. And it was back when summer reading list wasn't like three books. It was like 20 books. Mm -hmm. And all of them are fucking good. And I read like six of them because that's the type of person that I am. And also because, I don't know, there was a lot of weird sci-fi nonsense and shit on there. It's like, oh, oh no, you're pandering to me and I'm... 1,000% here for it. <laughs> it's one of those, like, things that is precious to me that, like, you don't share a lot of those things. So, like, sharing fucking Utna. Um, but it's a lot more easy to share because it's a lot more accessible than Utna. You know. But it's the, like, weird pieces of you that attach and then you're like, oh no. Well, <laughs> now this is piece of me. And if I'm like, oh hey, I'm reading this book and somebody's like, I thought it was dumb. You're like, well, it's fine. I'm I'm gonna cry under my covers <laughs> for like a week, but but it's fine. It's fine, don't worry about it, I guess. No big deal. <laughs> um also it was described by uh, Ray Bradbury as the book he loved best of all the things he had written. So mm, my heart. It opens with, first of all, it was October, a rare month for boys. Not that all months aren't rare, but there be good and bad, as pirates say. Take September, a bad month. School begins. Consider August, a good month. School hasn't begun yet. July, well, July's really fun. There's no chance at all in the world for school. June, no doubting it. June's best of all. The school doors spring wide and September's a billion years away. But you take your October now. School's been on a month, and you're riding easier in the rains, jogging along. You get time to think about the garbage you'll dump on Old Man Cricket's porch or the hairy ape costume you'll wear to the YMCA the last night of the month. And if it's around October 20th, and everything is smoky-smelling, and the sky is orange and ash-gray at twilight, it seems Halloween will never come in the fall of broomsticks and soft flap of bed sheets around corners. But one strange, wild, dark, long year... Halloween came early. He's like, oof. Um, so the story focuses mostly on uh, Jim Nightshade and Will Halloway, and then Will's aged father, Charles, who is a janitor who works at the library. It was written in 1962, but it's uh, set a little bit further in the past. It opens on October 23rd in Greentown, Illinois, which is a fictitious town that Bradbury made up, and he put a bunch of his novels in. And so Will and Jim are Will Halloway and Jim Nightshade are hanging out in the front yard because their houses are right next to each other. They're best friends. Everything's the best. Blah, blah, blah. Will Halloway is basically 13. They're both 13. One was born right before Halloween. Will was born right before Halloween, 11.59. And Jim was born like 12.01 on Halloween. So they've been best friends since they were literally babies. They're hanging out with each other on their front yard because they live next to each other. And um, when they meet a strange lightning rod salesman named Tom Fury, which uh, he's very specific to tell you, no, I didn't take this name, but my name did drive me to this occupation. It's just who I am now. 
Uh, he says that there's a storm coming, it's going to be a big fucker, and it's going to strike one of the two of their houses, and there's something in the air, and he just knows it. And he's like, are either your parents around? They're like, no. He's like, neither of you have any money. He's like, no. He's like, okay, well, and then he gives Jim a lightning rod, says that he's going to need it, and that it doesn't matter that they don't have the money for it, because otherwise this house is going to go up. And then he's like, I'm fucking out of here and gets ahead of the storm because that's his deal. Uh, And then throughout the rest of the day and the evening, the boys run into town folk who also sense that there's something in the air. They head to the library to pick up some books. Will's dad works there as the janitor. And um, while they are heading home, they find a handbill for a circus that is coming in the street. The handbill says, Cougar and Dark's Pandemonium Shadow Show, due to open the next day. Which is weird, because not only is it most of the way through fucking October in Illinois, so it's probably getting fucking chilly, but, like, it's full-on fall, and it's supposed to happen tomorrow, and nobody has set anything up. So it's a little unsettling. And again and again, between all of this, you see the differences between Jim and Will. Um, Will is a lot more sheltered, and he's a lot less likely to make the adventurous choice, and he's more cautious. Will, like, Will is the one who's afraid that the lightning is going to strike his house and burn everything up, and, but there's still some part of Jim that is, like, adventurous, and also some part that kind of tilts towards destruction. Jim was the type of person Ray Bradbury described it as he was fascinated by the world and he had looked at it so much that he had seen 20 years and is 13. And Will, on the other hand, had looked away so often that he had only seen six years. So a lot more naive of the two of them. So Will is surprised when anything bad happens to him and Jim is expecting it, dodging and weaving out of the way and waiting for the next blow. But in their friendship, they meet in the middle a lot of the ways, tempering the other. That night at around three in the morning, they're awakened by the sound of a train, which is unfamiliar because they, I mean, there's train tracks, but there aren't really any trains that go through there. And also it's a weird time of night for there to be a loud, like shrieky train coming through. And Jim is immediately interested in while Will wouldn't go out on his own, he won't let Jim go alone. So they both quickly and quietly get dressed and sneak out to watch the carnival arrive at 3 a.m. And it's as fucking creepy as you can imagine. Like, it makes me think of the parallels between this and, I think it's Sailor Moon S, where the creepy carnival comes in and it, like, comes yes. in overnight through the eclipse. Yep. Yeah. It's a very, like, similar feeling where you're like, mm, I have heebie-jeebies yep. about everything. There's a the uh, calliope, which is the, like, normal instrument that they play in, like, merry grounds and things like that, um, is playing some sort of, like, a weird twisted church music and everything is too dark. And then the ringmaster gets off the train and everything fucking comes to life, but it's, like, a silent movie and you don't hear anything. It's like an actual carnival, so a circus. You would expect that there's going to be a lot of life and noise, and it's completely silent. Um, the next day, they go back to check everything out, and it's all pretty normal. The canvas is, like, yellow, and it's a little warm. It doesn't look like anything that was, like, torn from the fucking night clouds. Uh, the only thing that seems out of place at all 
are more in place with what was there the night before is the mirror maze, which is still strange and dark and creepy. Um, they bump into Miss Foley, who is their seventh grade teacher, um, who's looking for her nephew, Robert, and uh, Will warns her not to go into the mirror maze. She does anyways, looking for him, and immediately like panics and gets lost, and the boys have to pull her out. And when she comes out, she tells them that they have to go back in there to find the little girl who's lost in there and crying. And she says that the little girl looks just like she did when she was a child. Not weird. Nope. It's probably fine. Everything's fine. Everything is fine and normal. You know. Um, They spend more time there after Miss Foley leaves, and as they're leaving for home, uh, they trip over the bag of the lightning salesman. So, a bag filled with lightning rods. And, you know, this is basically his entire fucking livelihood, not something he would just leave around. So, Jim's like... We have to stay and figure out what the fuck is going on because shit's going to happen after dark. So they investigate all of the rides, which are mostly normal, except for the merry-go-round, which has an out-of-order sign on it. And Jim's like, "Mm, I don't know. I mean, it's probably not out of order. So I'm going to climb on it because I am a dumb teenage boy and that is what we do. (laughs) <laughs> and so he jumps on one of the horses and then they're startled because a loud voice tells them that they have to get out of there and the man snatches Jim basically like by the collar this giant hulking man grabs Jim and then grabs Will as well and it's basically like what the fuck are you guys doing here and another man comes out and tells the first to put them both down and they look up and see he's in a suit which is this like creepy kind of bristly it almost looks like the fabric is alive a little bit um so you're getting like a rorschach thing going on no almost like it was made out of like a lot of bugs or like hair that moves or things like that something where you're like it's a little bit alive that's the the feeling that you get from (laughs) it and it's like okay it's weird it looks like it would be itchy and uncomfortable, but it doesn't look like it's uncomfortable to him. He introduces himself as Mr. Dark. Um, he really only looks at Jim. And uh, he tells them that the red-haired man who picked them up is Mr. Cougar. So Mr. Dark pulls back his sleeves, and they see that he is the illustrated man that was talked about on the playbills. So he's covered in tattoos that are, like, something beyond an actual tattoo. Something that moves, something that has a real possession almost to it. Creepy shit. And he shows the tattoos to Jim, but he doesn't show them to Will. And uh, he asks Jim what his name is, and Jim tells him it's Simon. And they both kind of smile because they know that Jim is lying. But also Will is like, (laughs) Bad vibes, bad vibes! Will is exploding with anxiety next to him. (laughs) Then he, yeah, shows Jim a couple more of his tattoos, and he tells the boys to leave and come back the next day. Uh, they run off, but Jim looks back back once and then jumps into a tree, and then he kind of pulls Will up to follow him so that they can still kind of creep on them. And they watch as Mr. Dark looks around and then starts up the merry-go-round, and it runs backwards, as does the music. And Mr. Cougar jumps on, and they see as he, like, the flesh on his face melts away, he melts into, like, this smaller, younger person. And then all of a sudden, when he gets off of the merry ground, he's 12 years old. And he runs away across the field, and Will and Jim jump out of their tree and chase after him. 
That's normal. <laughs> yep, yes it is. Uh, they follow him to Miss Foley's house, where he pretends to be the nephew that she was searching for earlier. So Will tries to get them to leave, but before they go, the boy invites them to dessert that they're going to go... Uh, invites them to what? To dessert, so that they can go back to the circus with his aunt. He's like, come back with me to the carnival. It will be fine. We'll have Everything's there. cool. And Jim's like, okay, um, that might be an idea. I should have like, some shaved ice. No, hard no. Hard this hard. is a no. No, no, no. Will is like, we have to get the fuck out of here. Let's go home. Uh, he and Jim agree to meet up the next day so that they can figure out what's going on. And Will is like, you have to not do this. The music that was played fucking backwards was Chopin's funeral march. So, like, they're marching away from the grave. This is some heebie-jeebie shit. Mm-hmm. We need to stay away from this, you dumb-dumb. But sometimes you have dumb friends. It's true. It happens. Mm-hmm. Jim still sneaks out that night. And usually when one of them sneaks out, they have a signal um, for the other one to kind of wake them up and make sure that they all do things together. But this time, Jim sneaks out alone. Will catches him and follows behind him. Jim goes to Miss Foley's house and tries to get the, the attention of Cougar and try to get him to come out and talk to him. And Will fucking tackles him and is like, nope, no, 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 no. We are not doing the fucking thing. Uh, they end up fighting and... Jim is like, you have to leave because if you don't leave, Mr. Cougar's not going to come out and talk to me. You're a fucking narc. He doesn't say narc, but you know, that's basically what <laughs> basically. he means. Yeah. And Jim is like, if you don't leave, then I'm going to remember when I'm older. And Will's like, okay, I know what the fuck is going on. And he just punches Jim in the face. Oh. Which, fair. And then while they are fighting... Cougar throws a bunch of Miss Foley's jewelry out the window to make it look like they stole it. (laughs) And then he takes off and he's after, like, yelling for the police. And, like, at this point, Will has figured out that Jim wants to ride the carousel himself. He wants to go around and he wants to be older. He wants to see what that's like. No, you don't. No, don't do it. It's a trap. It's a a big trap. (laughs) It is a big trap. It's a fucking trap. Mr. Cougar takes off after throwing this jewelry on them while they're, like, wrestling and being dumb boys. And he's like, the police! Blah, blah, blah. And, um, Jim takes off after him, and Will takes off after both of them. When Will catches up, Mr. Cougar is riding the carousel around to get older, and Jim is about to join him. And Will just knocks the switch on the carousel, like, and it flies out of control and kind of knocks it off. Like, basically breaks that bitch off. It flies out of control, and Mr. Cougar ages over a hundred years before it actually stops. Uh, So he's essentially a skeleton at this point. He's not in good shape, that's for sure. Can't all be Steve Rogers. No. For sevens. Yeah. (laughs) I like that, that. I I am impressed. Here we are. (laughs) This is me being impressed. (laughs) Ah. 
Yeah, and uh, Jim and Will, like, get the fuck out of there, but they get back there with the police because they're like, we killed this guy, and he's dead, <laughs> help, um, stuff is happening, and, and it's bad, this is a bad, not good. this is a bad, bad car- carnival, uh, and you guys should check it out, and they get back to um, the merry ground, and he's not on there anymore. So they go into the tents to get a good look at all the freaks in the tents and see what's going on, blah, blah, blah. One of them, who is a small, smooshed-up person that they call the dwarf, it looks a lot like the lightning rod salesman, but like he had been crushed into less of a person, and then they took his brain out. Basically yeah. not, he's not there anymore. Cool. Mm-hmm. And then they see Mr. Cougar, who is strapped to the electric chair. They have an electric chair there, because of course. <laughs> and Mr. Dark welcomes in the whole group and tells them that they're rehearsing the newest act, and he claims that Mr. Cougar is the newest act, Mr. Electrico. Um, and Will says that the man is dead and that they should take him down from the chair, and the policemen start to move forward. And then Mr. Dark wants to run electricity through Mr. Hoover, and he looks to help to Jim, who says, yeah, it's fine. We should try this out and see how that goes. And he's like, Jim, Jesus. I love you so much, but God. And what do you do, bud? Yeah, but this calms down the policeman, and then they throw the switch, and electricity courses through his probably dead body and brings him back to life. And while he's, like, basically being electrocuted, Will and Jim see Mr. Dark basically willing the body back to life. Um, And all of the freaks who are around him are kind of, like... Why are the police letting this happen? They don't know it's a bad thing. They just think it's a circus thing. Oh. They think it's, like, a show. Yep. He's like, oh, yeah, this is just... um, And then, so, it happens at the end... um, Will's like, no, he's going to die if you shut off the electricity. And then Mr. Electrico, who is Mr. Cooper, but old as shit, speaks and is like, "Mm, they saw me rehearsing, pretending to die earlier, and they ran away screaming. And the police are like, sounds good to us. (laughs) Of course they are. Yeah. And then Mr. Dark is like, here, here's some free tickets for you guys so that you can come back and everything will be just fine. And everything will be fine. And he asks them for their names and they lie again. Everything will be fine. Mm -hmm. And they they get the fuck out of there, but Jim still holds on to his tickets, whereas Will is like, nope, hard pass. Will, your anxiety is saving you, my friend. The next day, the boys find a girl who is crying on the curb, and she is fucking terrified, and she begs them for help, and they kind of realize who she is, but they tell her to stay where she is so that they can make sure, and they go to Miss Foley's house to see that she is not there, and they're they're sure that she's the little girl is their teacher. Basically, the version that she had seen in the mirror Um, house has come real and now she is a child who doesn't have anything or know anybody and nobody will will believe her Uh, they hear the carousel music and go backwards and they know that the machine is fixed and they run back to go help her and uh, stop when there is a weird like parade the carnival sending a parade through the fucking town of course they are because they're I don't think that's how that works. No. I think you need permits and, and okays and 
You can't just send a parade through a goddamn town. Yeah. This is Illinois in the 50s, so I don't know. Also, suburb Illinois. I guess. Which, to be fair, I don't know how much is happening there. It's true. Yeah. Probably nothing. Also, I've got to say, I don't know how many places, but when I worked in Harvard Square the first year that we worked there, they probably had... 14 or 15 parades. Not a lie. And they were all like the most shitty, dumb parades, but they must have asked somebody for something. Um, well, if you're having a parade in Boston, oh, you yeah. definitely have to get permission. It was just always like, is this really happening again? Why is there some fucking dude with a tuba again? How is this? How many parades can you afford to do in fucking Harvard Square? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Is this a joke? It isn't. It isn't a joke. This also isn't a joke. The only parade I enjoy is the Dragon Con parade. Exactly, because we're drinking mimosas and eating All the food I cook. All the foods. All the yummy breakfast foods. But yeah, so they try to go back to Miss Foley, but she uh, isn't there. And then uh, the carnival is basically like just kind of sending people out through the town to do like a... would be like an advertisement thing, but it's actually they're searching for them. While they are hiding out, they're hiding under some like grates under a storm drain in front of the cigar store. Will's father, Charles Halloway, the janitor from before, you see him a lot throughout, but he doesn't do a lot. He just thinks a lot. And for me, he's very much like Ray Bribery, just being like, here are all of my thoughts on the world. And I'm like, I want to wrap myself in these. <laughs> but that's fine and normal. <laughs> um, but yeah, he looks down through the storm grates and sees them um, as some like cigar ash drops down. And they're like... You can't say anything because if you do, we will probably die. And he's like, oh. And they're like, okay, we're we're going to meet up later and we're all going to talk about this fucking shit and it's going to be fine, but you can't say anything right now. Um, and then as they're like basically saying this, he looks up and Mr. Dark is coming right towards him. And Mr. Dark is like, um, there are these two boys that have been chosen to be special guests at the carnival. And he holds up his hands and on each palm there's a picture of one of Will and one of Jim. That's not weird. Nope. Totally not creepy. Everything's normal. Very normal. Mr. Halloway is like, "Mm, I don't know them. I've never seen them before. And uh, Mr. Dark is like, "Mm, yes, you do, because they live around here, blah, blah, blah. He's like, we don't know who they are. Um, He clenches his fists. And as he's clenching against those images, they start to like writhe in pain while they're underneath everything. Will and Jim. Mr. Dark accuses Will's father of being a liar. And he says he knows that their names are Jim and Will, but he doesn't know their last name. And he's like, mm, I don't know. I can't help you. I don't know. I guess I've never met them before. And then when Mr. Dark goes away, he's like, okay, we've got to meet up later at the library. You guys come find me when it's safe. And uh, he goes back to the library. And later that night, they head back there and they tell him everything. Um, where they've been hiding all day and the whole story from the beginning. And when they finish, uh, he says that he believes it all and that he's been doing basically research all day. The carnival has come in October every 20 or 30 years. 
um, since like 1846. And that's just because they only have a news clipping through 1846, but it could be longer. Basically, it's just these two men have been running this evil carnival for years and years and years, and they just keep running themselves back when they get too old. Spooky dickheads. So he says that uh, they thrive on suffering and they feast on pain and the fear of others. Talks about how we as humans are the animal that knows too much and we can either laugh or cry, but they watch us and wait until we're ripe with the feelings of sorrow and despair and then they come in and feed on it. Spooky. Yikes. Um, And then when Jim asks if the carnival buys souls, Mr. Holloway points out that they they don't need to because people are so desperate to give away their souls as fucking quickly as they can. They don't need to take souls. They just live off of them. People torture each other all the time, so they don't need to do that either. They just kind of feed off of all of our fucking gross nonsense. And he tells the boys that the carnival inspires such fear because people are more afraid of nothing than of something, and death is nothing. So it uses their fear of death against them and reaps their lives in reward. Um, And then everything is like, oh no, what are we going to do? And he's like, well, there are ways to fight against this. We're going to, and I'm on your side. I'm here. And all I do is live in a library and read. So (laughs) I got you. Got you. Mm -hmm. And then before they can get anywhere, the front door opens and Mr. Halloway is like, you guys have to get the fuck out of here and hide. And then Mr. Dark comes in and he asks Charles Halloway where the boys are. And he's like, nope. Not telling you, I don't know any boys. I've never seen boys in my life. I've never read a book in my life, and I've never seen a book. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's like you're literally in a library, sir. Mr. Holloway grabs a Bible, and then Mr. Dark fucking laughs at him, and he's like, "Are you kidding me? You think that this book can harm me? Silly!" And he pulls out the Bible and he reads some of it, and he's like, "No." I'd be like, "I think it could harm you if I throw it at your face." I whack you in the fucking mouth with it. Yeah. <laughs> and then he also um, basically tortures Will's father with um, words. And he offers him a ride on the carousel to take a, a couple years back. He's like, you're 54 and a father. You're old. You're an old man. You were 40 when your fucking child was born. And you're going to be old for a long time. Well, not a long time. It's going to be a short time, probably. <laughs> and I can change that. We can make that better. I can take 20, 30 years if you tell me what's going on. No, thanks. But the more... Yeah, exactly. No, I don't want to. fucking means I have to live longer. Exactly. So much work. So much work. And it's, you don't think about the consequences. And it's somebody... Basically, the entire theme of this is somebody offering you something and nobody thinking, oh, this could work poorly for me. He is like, oh, I'll take away a couple years. You'll be younger and normal and blah, blah, blah. And I can hear your heart speeding up and things like that. Basically, with his power, is able to make Charles' heart start to not work the way that it's supposed to and speed up too fast. And he's trying to will it to slow after that and hurt and things like that. And he's like, the dust witch will come and finish the job. 
I'm going to go fucking find your kids. And he starts by tempting Jim, saying that he can ride around on the carousel and he can be a little older and they'll throw Will on there and put him around the other way. He can just be a baby, which like no one wants to take care of their friends as a baby. This is a bad job. If you ever turn into a baby, I'm sending you back to your parents because I will just leave you to die, probably. First of all, if I ever turn back into a baby, your mom will be so excited. Yep. She'll be so excited. This is a read on you, <laughs> Dibby. I didn't even have to say it. That's how that's how obvious this is. So here we are. Um yeah, no, I hope I don't ever turn back into a read. That sounds fucking terrible. <laughs> I won't take care of you. But yeah, and then I would uh, just be like Mr. Dark is like Dibby. She's a baby for some reason. You need to come here. And she'd be like, I'm on the first plane. I'd be like, good, because I'm not going to be able to last very long. No, not. It's crying. I put it in the closet with the cat. <laughs> They're both just screaming. <laughs> oh, Luna, will you still love me? She's like, I barely love you. God. He's um, like, now you're actually useless because you can't even feed me anymore. Real, my opposable thumbs are no longer opposable. You can Other than them. to grab her. You can oppose them. Oppose me. I am a thumb. Um, <laughs> God. Um, so after after saying that, Mr. Dark is like, okay, well, Will, I'm going to send your mother around until she's a fucking shriveled crone. And until she's almost dead. After all of this, like, you hear Will kind of, like, sniffle to himself. Trying not to cry. And that's how they find them. He is a baby. So the Dust Witch spells them to uh, be unable to see or speak, and they take them back to the circus. And while that's all happening, the Dust Witch finds Charles and slows and slows and slows his heart. And as she's finally stopping it, like, literally making those, like, Scarlet Witch, like, hand (laughs) motions in the air. But nowhere near as cool. Obviously Baby, I love you. Well, yeah. And also the Dust Witch is, like, creepy and shitty. Her mouth and eyes are all sewn up and stuff like that. She's very, very scary looking. As all of this is happening and he's, like, in pain from... He tried to fight Mr. Dark and Mr. Dark crushed his hand. That's why you carry around teasers. Mm-hmm. Not Bibles. No. Bibles don't do a lot. No. Tasers will zap the motherfucker. You could have a Bible that is actually is a taser for the taser. or <laughs> It's just the actual taser. <laughs> <laughs> the power of Christ compels you. <laughs> actually, that would be the best. I'm into it. Oh no. <laughs> we should copyright that idea. Um, yes. No one steal this. This is ours. Uh, it's important. <sighs> but yeah, so she's Scarlet Witching Charles's heart into slowing and slowing and slowing. And he finally opens his eyes and is like, I guess I'll just take a look at the world at the last moment. And he's like, this is literally the most ridiculous thing that has ever happened to me. No fucking shit, mm-hmm. buddy. Yeah. Basically, he finally is like, nope. I see how fucking absurd this is. I'm not going to believe in any of it. And I'm going to laugh at it. Because it's fucking stupid and silly. And that's the only thing you can do. And in laughing at it, it like, immediately his heart is back to where it's supposed to be. And the dust witch is knocked off of herself. She's injured and thrown back. 
basically it's like, this is too stupid and you cannot make a thing out of a thing. I think it's funny that you're trying to do the thing. (laughs) And that is what takes her down. She uh, goes back to the carnival and also Charles Halloway follows them back to the carnival as well. Basically, at the beginning of the book, he's struggling with the fact that he's, like, an old dad and that he's going to be dead soon and that, like, it looks like he's with his fucking daughter when he goes out and his wife is like, it's fine, you're being weird and dumb, you're not that much older than me, can you please fucking calm down and accept yourself? And, like, by the time he does accept himself, this is when he, like, basically blasts the witch and... After that, soon after that, they do this weird bullet trick at the circus because he catches up with Mr. Dark. So there's a trick that they would do at circuses where somebody would shoot a gun, they would write something on the the bullet, and then another person would catch the bullet in their teeth. Except for, you know, you'd write something on this piece of wax, it would get destroyed because it's not meant to be shot through a gun. Mm-hmm. And then somebody would have a fake bullet caught in their teeth. And in doing this, he puts, he carves a little like smiley face on it. And he's like, this is my fucking smile. I'm going to destroy you with it. And shoots this wax and the witch immediately chokes on the bullet that's in her mouth and dies. Bam. Done. That shit is done. Uh, also, in doing this, uh, because he can't shoot the gun by himself, he only has one hand that works, he calls out Will, and the entire crowd starts calling out Will, and Will comes out even though he's basically, like, dead to the world because of the Dust Witch's spells. But yeah, so, she's dead. Bam. Uh, they go to find Jim in the mirror maze, and basically every time Charles looks through, through the mirror maze, all he can see is older and older and older versions of himself, and it's just starting to like fucking crush in on him. And Will keeps lighting a match so that they can see where they're going, and he keeps blowing it out so that he doesn't feel like crushed by being old. Will is finally like, no, it doesn't matter. I don't really give a fuck that you're my old dad. It like, we just have to get through this. It's it's not a big deal. And they finally just are able to laugh at the absurdism of the whole thing, and everything comes down. Uh, Charles Holloway denies that power because he no longer believes in it. His laugh just shows that power that once was held by the mirror maze is no longer here. Like a witch, he has disarmed it and shown its magic to be nothing but a sinister trick. They figure out that Jim is going towards the carousel because they can hear it going, and also everything is surrounding the carousel. That's where everything has been leading up to the entire time. I know I keep saying carousel and merry-go-round, and I can't decide between the two. <laughs> no one I took. I took a test yesterday that was like, we can guess what part of the Shit. country you're from, and they nailed Boston so real quick. I always see. <laughs> I always feel so incredibly seen by those things. I'm like, damn, you're right. <laughs> the three top places were like Boston, Worcester, and Rhode Island. Oh, oh motherfucker. <laughs> oh. Shit. <laughs> yep. Yeah, if that ain't it. Shit. But yeah, so Jim, um, Jim is going towards the carousel and they're finally catching up with him. And they see that it's going around and... Jim finally grabs onto one of the poles and he's swung around and with one of his hands is trailing out and 
while this is happening, Will basically misses the first time and then grabs on and tries to pull him off. And they go around once together and then land on there for a second, go around probably a half another time, and Will is able to pull him off. But because Jim has been basically pulling himself between these two things, it like knocks him right fucking straight out. And when they fall off the machine, he falls to the ground motionless. In the meantime, there's a weird kid that comes up begging for help. I roll. And, uh, but Mr. Holloway isn't a fucking idiot. He wasn't born fucking yesterday. And he recognizes him as a small Mr. Dark. Which I'm like, how many kids do you know with yellow eyes? I just <laughs> feel like he, maybe you should have thought this one through. Um... Yeah. Also, how many... I'm sure you know every kid in this little town. Yeah. You definitely do. So... Yeah. Mr. Dark called you out literally like 10 minutes ago for saying that you didn't know every kid in this little town. He's like... But yeah, this little kid comes up to him and he's like, help me! Mr. This circus guy is... You know what it makes me think of? Which I was just attempting to quote. What? Hercules. Gee, mister, you're really strong! (laughs) Help. Oh my god. Yeah, no, it's basically that. He's like, help me. I need some help. (laughs) And Charles Holloway picks him up and kind of like hugs him and is like, everything's gonna be okay. And And then I'm gonna strangle you. Like, he doesn't even need to. He just gives him affection. And because Mr. Dark has lived his entire life and life and life and life and a bunch of other lifetimes living off of, like, cruelty and callousness and terribleness, this small bit of affection just puts him right fucking out. Yeah. I would have strangled him. Mm. I think strangling him would probably have just made him more strong. Which is why this book isn't about us. I'd be like, ew, gross child. Ew. And then I'd be like, why does this gross child have so many tattoos? (laughs) Who didn't love this child? I mean, besides me. Besides me. But that's is not my responsibility. I don't have to. I didn't do it. I didn't make you. But yeah, so basically Mr. Dark can't survive in close contact with anybody who is like as happy and like satisfied yeah, with himself. Any kind of affection. Yep. So I get it, but also like yikes. After he dies, all the tattoos on his body disappear, and the freaks uh, seem to finally, for the first time, be able to like see what's going on, and they all run off in different directions. That must be a spectacle. Yes. Well, because, yeah, basically, so we have Miss Foley, who wanted to be younger, who they made her much younger, so that she'd never be able to be believed by anybody. And you have Tom Fury, who was trying to always be ahead of things, and they, like, crushed him down and made it so that he'll never get ahead of anything. It's just like, you wish to be this thing, and then I'm just gonna take the thing that you wish and make it. So, love yourself, I guess, is the fucking moral of the Love yourself is the moral of the goddamn story. John just posted a thing that was like, never apologize for who you are, and I said, unless you're Trump. In one of his neo-Nazi followers. I was going to say, if you're a bigot, that's a different story. Be fucking ashamed. If you're a bigot, you're not loving yourself. That's how it is. That's true. Because you're just being the worst fucking you're shithead. You're just the worst shithead ever. And you know who loves that? Literally no one. one. Had a cat. You'll feel better. Mm-hmm. 
I was going to say eat a bag of assholes. <laughs> but whatever. It's all all the same. So while while this is still happening, Will thinks his friend is dead and Charles doesn't think so. Oh, well. And when Will bursts into tears, his father slaps him and is like, <laughs> literally like, you can't. I know I just love this devil thing to death, but I'm going to smack you in the face. It's basically like you can't give them what they're asking for. And if you're sad about this, it's going to make this worse. And we can make this better, but you have to get in on it. So basically, like... And then boys stopped crying. Boys, it's okay to cry. You're allowed to cry. If you think your friend is dead, it's okay to cry. Yes. (laughs) This isn't coming across the way, because that's 1,000%... They cry a bunch during this. I just don't fucking mention it. <laughs> we believe in boys having emotions. Yeah, because most boys have more emotions than me. And it's fucking true. Have emotions. It's okay. Yeah, it's fine. I hope you have more emotions than Martha. It's not that hard. <laughs> you know, I've got... Martha has plenty of emotions. Anger and sadness. Fake romance. In in love for cats. Well, that's also yes. In love for me. Mm, uh, there's a lot of love. <laughs> some of it's fake romance, and some of it's for like actual people and things. <laughs> I guess love is one of the emotions. <laughs> oh, gross! I feel gross. I need to go take a shower. This is icky. I feel like I'm admitting my feelings. Where's my therapist when I need her? On your phone. Help. I need your help. <laughs> but yeah, I told you this episode is about Martha learning about herself. Leave me out of this. It's my favorite book, so I did this to myself. Okay, yes. Will thinks his friend is dead, and Charles is like, no, he's not dead. We have to fucking make him alive by believing he's not dead. Basically, he says that what the evil ones wanted from them, what Mr. Dark and Cougar wanted from them, is to be sad and joyless and to have nothing. And instead, they have to just rejoice and enjoy everything that they have. And if they can do that enough, they can bring Jim back. And they start to, like, dance around and try and sing, and they're, you know, not real happy. And then, like, finally it... It's like when you fake laugh for long enough and then you start actually laughing because it's so ridiculous and everything's so stupid. Ever do that? Is that just me? It's 2020, Martha. Nope. We've been doing it since March. Oh. <laughs> so rude. Wow. Damn. Everything's fine. <laughs> oh, cool. But yeah, basically their, like, dancing, laughing, and happiness brings Jim back from the edge. And he joins in their fun and laughing, and he has no idea what's happened. And he's like, what's going on? Why are we all, like, laughing about this? And Will's like, (laughs) everything's okay. And it's like, it's okay to cry now because, like, we're not, we're past it. It's fine. You know, which is fair. I would also be weeping and stuff like that. And then they're trying to figure out what's going to, because Mr. Dark is gone, Mr. Cougar is gone, all of the freaks are gone, and it's like, is this the end of it? Will asks if they'll ever come back, and Charles says that 
others might come perhaps in a different form, uh, but that fight has just begun. And then he says, perhaps that they're already there. And the only people who are there are Jim, Will, and his father. Uh, and they're like, mm. in the twilight zone. But yes. <laughs> but yeah, they realize how easy it would be to go forward once, forward twice, or just backwards a couple of years. And then they realize that you couldn't just do it once and that you'd have to keep coming back. And soon it would be friends and family. And then it would be something that destroys you. So uh, Charles Halloway does his best to destroy the carousel and the control box of the carousel with a wrench. And then they all take off running back home. Um, and after thinking for a moment, throw Chucky into it. Uh, that would be the best way to do it. <laughs> so Chucky dies. Ruin everything at the same time. <laughs> but also, oh God, Chucky. <laughs> But yeah, so they, and then at the very end, they all reach their destination at exactly the same time because they've either run a little slower or caught up a little bit more and balanced each other to make it so that it's even and fun. But yeah, a lot of the book is just about coming to terms with who you are and recognizing that, yes, you're going to want different things, but also getting those things immediately isn't going to solve any of your fucking problems and is actually going to give you way more problems. It is the like classic don't ever take any wishes because you have to be so specific and otherwise you're going to get fucked by whoever is giving you wishes, which is what I wish my job was. Can I be a genie? I would be so good at ruining things. Uh, can I be a genie from Goosebumps if with purple easy. and red hair and a short fuzzy sweater and combat boots? Please and thank you. Remember, if it's fucking easy, it's not fucking worth no, it. No, it's not. If somebody offers something to you very easily, it means that they're taking something from yes. you. Indeed. But also, boys, it's okay to cry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> If your friend dies, you can cry. Just wait five minutes so you can save him. If, no, that's not normally going to happen. No, obviously They're dead. Not. They're dead. Please cry. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Please have emotions. It's okay. Yes, but also, can I just say, this isn't a problem in this book. <laughs> when you just grabbed onto a dumb thing I said, and now everything is the worst. <laughs> So, I'm guessing you read this when you were younger. I've read this probably 800 times. So, it's one of those things that it's harder at 30 years old to fucking, like, like, it's same with, like, me reading Harry Potter now. I yeah. see all of the problems because I'm not 12. <laughs> well, yeah. So, I would say, so... And it's hard to relate to 12-year-olds because I'm like, you're dumb. Yes and no. Because this is actually good writing, which is yeah, the and main I haven't read difference it, there. So. Yeah. And, like, literally... The, like, tiny point of him saying, don't cry about this for one fucking second, is the smallest point in the book, <laughs> and it has nothing to do with fucking anything. So, like... I'm just being a bitch. You're the worst! You're the worst! <laughs> you're a fucking monster! It was like, hey, you know how I feel like I'm sharing something that is a piece of myself, and you're like, I'm gonna shit on it. <laughs> I don't know. You compare me to Daphne and Friends. <laughs> you are Daphne and Friends. What do you fucking exactly want? <laughs> I don't see how me recognizing that you are Daphne and Fred 
It is not the same as you being like, oh, well, it's fine to cry. And it's like, they literally cry through the entire thing. And then in five minutes, they cry. You didn't tell me that. I didn't know they cried through the entire thing. Because it's not important. It's fine. I'm just being a bitch. I just wanted to let boys know it's okay to cry. Yes. Obviously. If you don't, if you've listened to 20 fucking seven episodes of this and you don't know it's okay to cry, uh, then you're not allowed to cry anymore because fuck you. <laughs> because you don't get to cry anymore. Yeah, you've lost your crying privileges <laughs> because you're an idiot. <laughs> but yeah, no. Basically. What's it called again? Something Wicked This Way Comes. It's, it's from uh, Macbeth. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a quote from, from Macbeth. The witches are saying it. By the picking of oh, my thumb, something wicked this way comes. Open witches. Locks whoever knocks. Witches. They're awesome. They're so creepy. They're so cool. <laughs> They're way better than literally anybody else in Macbeth. Well, that, except for Lady Macbeth, who is a baller. Well, yeah. But also crazy. <laughs> All right. I guess that's that. <laughs> God. Help. Uh, so this is Spoopy Edition. Number four. Number four. Go watch uh, Peanuts and go read a book. Yeah. Um, and uh, let us There know is actually a movie version of Something yeah. Wicked This Way Comes, but it's old it? and I don't like it. Oh. So the answer is yes, she has seen it and it's not good. I want it to... It would, Most movie versions are disappointing. This one it would be literally a perfect movie. It would be so easy because everything is written out. All you have to... And it's not long. Like you know what I so I think and they the, made the dust witch sexy. I was so oh, fucking of mad. They fucking did. Are you? So, that is really annoying. Yeah, I was like, and I it's can't. So wa- fucking predictable yeah. in Hollywood. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thank you for joining us for spoopy for number four, right before Halloween. Mm-hmm. Have a fun Halloween. Have a safe Halloween. Um, don't please. go out. Yeah, I was gonna say, don't really go out. Don't no we parties. We want to. We really want to. Yeah, you can't. But, you know, there's still a pandemic. There's it, the pandemic is no different than it was in March when we started this mm-hmm. and cried about a little bit. Oh, a few times this episode. Yeah. If you want us to be able to go home at some point yeah. in the fucking future, then if you suck want it up and watch convention movies again, yeah, just it's you know. Buy yourself some candy and watch some horror movies at home in a costume. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Send us a picture. Yeah. On. You can find us at <laughs> But First Let's Talk Nerdy on Instagram, or you can send it to But First Let's Talk Nerdy at yahoo.com. Remember, make sure you rate and you subscribe and you give us a nice little five star comment on Apple Podcasts. I'm said Apple iTunes. I nope. Fucked it Apple Podcasts <laughs> forever. Uh-huh. You can also find us on Spotify mm-hmm. and on Podbean and on the ESO network. Yes, so we will see you next Tuesday. been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping at the Tee Public Store, 
which can all be found at esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.